0: If you love all things movies, all things indie, or all things horror, then you've found yourself a home at Indie Horror Rising. Indie Horror Rising is a podcast from three tortured minds about indie horror cinema and indie horror filmmaking. Join the filmmakers behind The Nursery and The Headmistress as they go in depth and
1: behind the scenes of both the latest and most classic films on the indie horror scene. Stories, strategies, interviews, and more. Welcome to Indie Horror Rising.
0: Hello and welcome to Indie Horror Rising. Once again, your favorite weekly podcast about all things horror, uh, indie horror, actually. We don't just do horror, Jay, we do indie Mm -hmm. horror film, indie horror filmmakers, and indie horror filmmaking. My name is Chris Miklas. I am one of the three tortured minds that bring you this podcast each and every week. And I am here, as I just alluded to, with my uh, co-host, my fellow filmmaker, and best bud, jay sapiro another of the tortured minds jay are you tortured today or are you uh you having a good day
1: (laughs) a little tortured (laughs) i kind of hinted at that before the podcast so (laughs) you had a heads up i had i'd say i'm i'm borderline crabby because my computer is giving me (laughs) issues and uh, i was late to the call i hate to be late to the call our discussion we do this via zoom and uh but maybe uh, maybe after this, everything will work out perfectly. And mm-hmm. I have to apologize if you hear anything. I might say this from time to time. There is construction going on next to me, and they're just about ready to tear down the building next to me. And I don't know if that'll happen today or when. Yeah. Here it goes. <laughs> you go,
2: look out below.
1: You can like all the, the guy sound from effects. Police Academy.
0: Huh? <laughs> yeah. like, wow, is it? Here comes a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> walk, walk.
1: <laughs> Uh-oh. Aliens landed on the building. <laughs>
0: Well, I will say that it's uh, if you if you think you're on the verge of yeah. being crabby, then it's yeah. a good thing that mm-hmm. we've already done our interview with our uh, with our guest That's filmmakers right. this week, you want to have to bring your <laughs> crabbiness to bear, I
1: would have unleashed all hell on them.
0: <laughs> You would have, which would have been a shame because they were just the most delightful gentlemen. Uh, Their names are uh, Matt Glass and uh, Jordan Wayne Long, and they're the uh, co-directors and filmmakers behind the new indie horror Western flick called Ghosts of the Ozarks, which uh, uh, came out uh, some time ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, Once again, we're we're, we're nearing the end of some of the archived uh, interviews we've done. Yep. Uh, But uh, we interviewed them uh, several weeks ago, but had just a terrific conversation and uh and they and they were just terrific to talk to so it's i'm really thrilled that we're able to uh, uh to finally get this uh, podcast dropped and and get them uh, some an introduction to our audience and uh, even more thrilled that uh uh that they won't have to put up with uh with your crabbiness as part of the yes, interview. Just
1: you. This is just, just, <laughs> just for you you get to delight in it. And it is important to uh to mention that we did record this a little while ago. I think it was back in February because we talked a Good little Lord. bit. Yeah, we talked about how, because David Arquette is in this film, yeah, Ghost of the Ozarks, and I think we brought up the fact that Scream was coming out and was hitting the theaters or had just hit the theaters, so we don't want you to say, what are you guys talking about? That was a few months ago, so we are clearing the decks.
0: We are clearing the decks, uh, but uh, this was an uh, outstanding interview with these guys. It's a really, really interesting, really enjoyable film with, you mentioned David Arquette, it's got some... uh, um, it's got a terrific cast, uh, yeah. a lot of which are doing things that they've you know never done before, which is, which is really interesting. Yeah. But it's also they've got some great stories about how uh, the making of the film and especially the uh, which we'll get to you know, momentarily. But the fact that they built this entire you know, Old West town from scratch. And it's, it's a really fascinating story of really ambitious filmmaking. And uh, I, I'm so glad that we have a chance to, to finally uh, bring the interview to you guys
1: yeah absolutely well why don't we go ahead and go to a break and then let's get to that interview
0: sounds good we'll be back uh, with that right
3: after this an isolated home
2: i go crazy out here in the middle
3: of nowhere i think
2: there are a few more houses around but it's pretty spread out
3: an infant child you are actually miller's first babysitter a tragic secret
4: I never told you what happened to my mom. I know she died. That's what I tell people.
3: The terrifying first film from the next generation of horror masters. Oh my God. The rising chill of panic. I'm sitting here with a bunch of paranoid hysterics talking about ghosts. There's no such thing as ghosts. The pungent stench of dread. And she was just staring at us. You just
0: said you couldn't see her face.
3: I know. But I could feel it. An evil demon from beyond the grave. We have to get out of here. Why is she doing this? Why is she after us? I don't know. Why now? Wrong. Riveting. Terror. The Nursery. Help me. Help. 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 A new generation of horror is born. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Indie Horror Rising. Thanks again for joining us this week. In post-Civil War Arkansas, a young doctor is mysteriously summoned to a remote town in the Ozarks, only to discover that the utopian paradise is filled with secrets and surrounded by a menacing supernatural presence in the new indie horror thriller, Ghosts of the Ozarks. And Jay and I are very pleased to be joined today by the co-directors of Ghosts of the Ozarks, Jordan Long and Matt Glass. Guys, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Indie Horror Rising.
4: Thanks, thanks for having
0: us. having us. Absolutely. Thanks so yeah. much. Congrats on the film. Uh, we got a chance to check it out. And I think Jay and I both really enjoyed it. And I want to start um, oh, good. I'm glad I don't want yeah. to be wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to be wrong. <laughs> uh, Matt, we'll start with you. Uh, my understanding is that the film started as a uh two, six, 2016 uh, 2016 <laughs> short. Um was it was it were you doing it as a proof of concept, like right from the start with the idea that you were gonna make a feature, or was it just something that you were so interested in once you finished it that you wanted to kind of expand it and 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 revisit the characters and the and the in the concept?
4: That's a really good question. I feel like Jordan could go into more detail, but um, from my perspective, I feel like so Jordan wrote the initial idea for the short, and it was just, I feel like initially, initially, it was like, let's make a short film. And he started like writing, coming up with ideas, and doing this whole board of stuff. And it just became so much stuff that we knew the short couldn't contain any of that stuff. <laughs> and so then we then sort of like formed into a proof of concept at that point. And Jordan, if you want to talk more about like the origin of the story and everything,
2: I mean, the origin. It's close to me because it's uh, I I grew up in a town called Bald Knob, Arkansas, and it's like twenty five hundred people. And uh, in the Ozark Mountains in the eighteen hundreds, there was this group of vigilantes also known as the Bald Knobbers, and they wore masks on their heads that like their wives would make. And they just ran around because there was no real law that could get into the Ozark Mountains. So they banded together. They would hide their faces and they would go, you know, beat up Billy, who built beat his wife and tell them not to do it again and leave so that no one had consequences, you know, individually. Wow. So this group of mass vigilantes, you know, as a kid living out in rural Arkansas, I just assumed that the ball numbers were out my front door. And uh, so that really instilled a lot of fear in me. And as I got older and started looking into it, I was like, this is a fascinating story. And, and Matt and I, are, uh, Matt, you wrote, you helped me write the short film. And then uh, once the proof of concept uh, was successful, even though we didn't really release the short film, I mean we were kind of like, oh, this could be better. So we just like really didn't release the short film and just went after kind of developing the feature. And that's when I brought Tara Perry on as a writer who would starred in the short and it kind of like, you know, really grew from there. Oh, that's interesting. So we just out of curiosity, will you is the is the short available now,
0: or is it something you might hold on to till the DVD comes out? Or what's the idea on that? That's, a good that's question. real great. It's I, not I think available it's, at the moment,
2: but <laughs> no, but it's gonna uh Walmart ordered a bunch of DVDs and so, yeah. And so they actually put the short film uh, on there, which I mean, it's cool, right? It'll be really cool for filmmakers to be like, Oh, that's where you started and you made it. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's good. Ah, That's great. Uh, You know, one thing we want to talk a little bit about, we have a number of things we want to get to with the cast and with, with, you know, just talking about the story, but I just have to say though, creating a period piece is not easy. And you guys did such a great job with the set design and specifically the set. You built a town. Uh, you have a fascinating uh, video on your website where you show how you made the bar and basically started putting that together. But I, I saw an interview with Thomas Hobson, who plays James, the doctor in the, in the film, and he talked about how you walked him through the back door of the bar to show him the set. And then you went out the front door And then he was immersed in the town because you built walls around the town. You actually just built a town. And he said that like led to about 80% of his, you know, character building right being in that town that you put together. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that, about building, physically building the town and the sets, and then maybe what that did to your characters, your actors to really you know get the best performance out of them because they really were immersed in that in that town itself.
2: That's a great. Uh, that's a great observation, Jay, and like I'm really glad that you that you heard that from uh, Tommy. That's like exactly what we wanted, and there were several things behind going after like building a town. It was, you know, as indie filmmakers, you're like, what can I do to convince people that we're serious? What can I do to convince like maybe bigger actors that that we're going to like see this through. And making like a large gesture had worked for us in the past. And so I said, let's just say we're going to build a town and I'll get out there on Instagram and I'll show us doing it every day. And let's see what that does. And I mean, honestly, like as a bare bones, I think business standpoint, we were like, this is how we show people that we're serious. And what it really did is we wanted to make it as easy as possible for the actors to, to get into the story and help us tell that story. And having them walk through the bar outside and just get to be in 1866, um, I think throughout the board, like helped all of them really like immerse themselves. And it helped us too, because you just kind of felt like, especially with it happening during the first of COVID, that was our little safe place to just like actually play and, and, and make something
4: i think <clears throat> jordan you keep you said we made a town like that's kind of an ambiguous thing but like the town was built by jordan his dad our ac and our assistant editor so it was just like four people that basically wow. built the whole place
1: that's amazing
2: how long how long would it take to
1: actually construct it
2: it was nine months um about six to seven days a week wow. and um uh yeah it was a it was a full-on onslaught to get it done
4: <clears throat> actually so aaron prush who was one of the people that built the town the whole time he was filming it and so we have a 12 maybe it's 12 minutes well in total we have a 50 minute long five chapter behind the scenes documentary that we just put out on ghost of the ozarks.com and there's a 12 minute section about just building the town that like explains all the dirt and building this
2: and the walls and it's really in-depth and really cool yeah but but what you guys were saying like that's what we hoped it would do like we hoped it was a big enough gesture that honestly people would have that good pressure on their shoulders to deliver. And, and everybody, you know, everybody did the crew also felt that way. I think when the crew came on set, like they're like, Oh man, because not many of that crew had worked on a big, you know, big size film like that before. So everyone really elevated. And that's how we were able to do the period piece. We were because like Brianna quick and her costume designing, like they didn't get to have any like real sizing people beforehand because of, the beginning of COVID. And so they built, they made Angela's dresses like over two days before oh, wow. we started filming. So wow. they, they like sized her up and then just stayed up all night and made the dresses. But I think wow. everyone could see that we were given it our best and, and that's what they gave us. I think
4: it was ingenious. Uh, what Tommy said, uh, the, the main entrance to get into the town was through the bar. So you just kind of had like this airlock of the bar before you entered the town. But <laughs> when you're in the town, you literally can't see anything of the real world and you're just you're just like surrounded by 1886 it was really cool
1: that's
0: cool well that's and you you allude a little bit to the the kind of the period aspect of it and i'm just i'm also fascinated when when indie filmmakers particularly take on a period piece because i mean indie filmmaking is hard enough without then having to go and trying to capture you know the speech patterns of the time and the and i would imagine that building the town you know the the few times that we've seen you know, some of these period pieces, it's usually like people in the forest with two horses and you know yeah. something yeah. like that. You know, because yeah. you know it's hard to find the set stuff. So you build a set, that's like one major challenge out of the way. But just talk about some of the other challenges of making a period piece. I mean, I, I can't imagine all the other obstacles you go through as indie filmmakers to then add the period aspect to it.
2: I mean, for me, uh, You know, logistically, it was uh, I have I have a carpentry background. I have a hardscaping background. So we kind of use what we have and what we know. And I was like, hey, I can do this. So why not? You know, and so in a couple of things, I had relationships with like a sawmill and so you know to get the boards to look old so we didn't have to buy stuff from home depot we just like felled trees in town we had a tornado rip through and so they took a lot of those trees and cut them up for us so you know we utilized all these old tech to really make sure that it no matter how we put it together it would look old because we were just using older materials and just like you know really rough cut boards and stuff like that and that really as a production designer you can't beat that because it doesn't matter how many layers you look back; it's going to look, period. And also, we just we were working with uh, wood or warehouses with metal warehouses that have those like waves in it. And yep. so we just built the wood; we put the wood together just as uh, as far apart as the metal was. And so we would just spray paint the metal hmm. in the places that we would miss, and really, no one ever noticed. Um, you might now if you watch it again. Um, but we, we just used as many tricks as we could. And since I knew hardscaping, I knew we could bring in dirt for way cheaper than we could build walls. And so we brought in like 400 tons of dirt from a four mile away, like quarry, and we just shaped it with a bunch of front end loaders to kind of get the feel of the Ozarks because we we're actually in a floodplain. I
4: think this wasn't really a challenge, but it was a really smart part of the script is that, There's hints of like technology that's not accurate to the time. Like there's like, oh, this guy's the whole place is is gas filled, which wasn't around that area in 1886. And there's like technologies that James McKeown and his uncle have both like created. And that's such a great way to get leeway as a period piece, because you don't have to make it 100 percent accurate because you're basically indicating this is 1886. But it's slightly different. So if something seems a little bit off that might not be 1886, it's because
2: this town exists in a world where it is slightly off. And it's, it's a very nice, smart move on the writers. That's, that's a good point, Matt. And actually, like uh, gaslighting, you're right. Like it didn't exist in the Ozark Mountains. But we, we decided that anything that existed in the world, j- James could have gotten it from the port of New Orleans. So we're like, uh, if it right. existed. So that was kind of our like benchmark of like, can we use this technology or can we not? Um, but yeah, it was it was like we picked it from everywhere across the world and we're like, let's throw it all together. Well, that's that's fun, man.
1: Yeah, and there's kind of a hint at that in the script when he I think he says at one point, if you need it, just write it down, I'll I'll get it for you. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like <laughs> We're talking about just whatever,
2: <laughs> whatever it is. Yep. So I can use smartphone.
1: I can get that. too. <laughs> yeah. But you, you started to talk a little bit about the cast there. I mean, I started to write notes to make comments and ask about certain performances, but it's just, it's everybody, you know, Thomas Hobson is great. Then Philip Phil Morris is in this Tara Perry did a great job. Tim Blake Nelson, you have David Arquette. You have such a great cast. So how did, how did you assemble such a wonderful cast? I see that, you know, you have some connections with some of these folks, um, but maybe you could talk to us about that, how you put together such a stellar cast Did one thing lead to another. Did you definitely want to get a certain performer? How did that work out? How'd you put that together?
2: Jordan? I mean, a- Angela Bettis. Uh, we had worked with her in, on 12 hour shift that, <clears throat> that we put out uh, the year before. And she's one of the best people on the planet earth. And so once we like got to know her, we were like, we really want to use her for everything. And, Lucille, the character in Ghost, is named after uh, an aunt of mine that uh, really helped me growing up and was one of my favorite humans. And so uh, mm-hmm. Angela was at the top of the list um, to, to play her. And I was very, very excited to, <laughs> to play her. And Phil Morris, um, Tara Perry had done a, a, a f- some, a, some film project with the Roddenberry uh, with Phil Morris. And okay. so she introduced me to like his new work. And so when we were actually writing math, it was his voice the entire time. It's just, you know, that command. Yeah. What a great voice. voice. What a great voice. Yeah, the thing and about so, Phil
4: Mormons, uh <clears throat> he's just like so well known. Like he, he knocked out of the park with his character on Seinfeld that I think a lot of the public thinks that's what he does. <laughs> and that's what I thought. And I'm like, and they kept recommending him. And then I'm like, I'll just watch Doom Patrol because I know he's in that. And I watched like five minutes of him in Doom Patrol. and I was like, oh, OK, yeah, this is great. <laughs> he has such range that you don't even know
2: that that's the same guy as he's been in Star Trek a bunch of times. It's great. Yeah. And then Joseph Rudd was um, WWE and yeah. uh, we had had Nick Foley in 12 hour shift. And when we reached out to Joe, um, he's just a gem of a human. And he was like, I'm actually wanting to get into acting like today. So that was his like, first project, and now he's like, going on into, in, into the acting world. Oh, very cool. And then uh, uh, we had done a lot of projects with uh, like David um, and, and helped him out. And so he passed the script to uh, Tim, and, and Tim was like, hey, I love it. Like, let's have a yeah. meeting. And so we had a breakfast meeting with him. And I think it was one of those things where once we showed him the town and kind of some of Matt's music and stuff, he was like, oh, I'm in. And that's when we really recognize we're like, this works like this works, you know, to show people how serious you are. So, um, yeah, who, who else am I missing? Tara and Tommy were both in the short film. Like, yeah. 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 And they, they too have worked together and have been friends for however long, 12 years, 15 years, I don't know. Yeah. So, and Tara hopped on to ride it, the feature with me. And Tommy was somebody who we had constantly passed, uh, the character back and forth to, and been like, oh. what are we getting right? What are we getting wrong? And he really, he was instrumental in, like, helping us, like, arc James's, um, you know, part in the story. So, yeah. And real times
4: oh, Go ahead. Uh, there's this weird thing where every time we make a film, we tend to make our first AC Aaron play somebody that either gets knocked unconscious or is unconscious. <laughs> in our first feature film, squirrel, he gets punched in the face and gets knocked out. In 12-Hour Shift, he somehow got cast <laughs> the role as the, um, the brother who's in a coma, so he's like... <laughs> And he's the AC and he was the sound guy on that movie all at the same time. Wow. So this, we're like, it, we're he, this one, he had a bunch of lines with him, Blake Nelson with uh, Tommy, but then he also gets knocked out luckily. And, and he gets
2: his, he gets his tongue cut out. He's that yeah. guy. And he oh. just that, kills was, it. Oh.
4: that was brutal. I remember everybody applauding after that scene. <laughs> it was
1: brutal. Yeah, that was, that was a tough one. I just want to mention, you mentioned uh, with naming some of your characters and, you know, after your aunt and that, but also the name Thomas Hobson's uh, Hobson's character, there's meaning behind his name.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, when Tommy and Tara came on board, um, we just started researching like black doctors in the United States and uh, James McCune. We, we really, we, we didn't base him off of James McCune, but when people like, if people were interested like you were and you Googled it, like you would learn something. And so that was really important for us. And we shot a film uh, over in Scotland. Matt and I were second year directors uh, over there and at the Kelvin Grove Museum. Uh, it speaks about James McCune because he spent his time studying over in Scotland's, uh, you know, between immigrate or going back and forth to the United States. And he was born in 1815. So uh, yeah, James McCune takes the name from uh, what they say is America's first known black doctor.
0: Cool. I want to stick with the, with the cast for a second, just to, just, just a little bit longer. Um, especially like your two major names in the cast, David and and Tim Lick Nelson, Um, especially, you know, David, I know you've worked with him before, but, it's it's just interesting timing, right? Because he's in one of the, currently in one of the biggest movies that's out there at about the same time your movie's coming out. Not only is he, you know, this legacy character in, in Scream that everyone knows and, you know, it, it kind of made his name for him, but in the new one, he's like the character where it, it's all kind of focused on. I mean, he kind of has a special role in this one. I mean, he brings such horror cred to your project, and then he also is going to bring a lot of attention to it because right now he's in the middle of this, you know, probably a press tour and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what? A, what? a am sure that's not why you cast him, but what a great benefit it brings to the film to have someone like that who just kind of immediately
4: brings you to another level. I, I don't remember the timing-wise. Had they even started or announced Scream when we were <laughs> shooting? Because yeah. of COVID, we got, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, you never know how stuff's going to work out. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. also right beforehand, right before ghosts came out, old Henry came out that Tim and that had great reviews. He filmed that afterward. And actually like our costume designer from ghost of the Ozarks, he liked her so much that he brought her on as the costume designer for that film. Sometimes and all just, the costumes are from ghosts.
2: <laughs> that's oh, <pretty> cool. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? <laughs> that's um,
4: funny. So you, you never know how stuff's going to work out. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. uh, that's great. So you know, yeah. as
0: a as a indie director ourselves, I, th- I think about things like this, and especially with Tim, you know, he's one of the he's today working today. He's one of the best character actors out there. I mean, he just you know he nails everything he does, mm-hmm. but he's also like worked right with some of the best directors out there you know Guillermo del Toro and Spielberg and the Coen brothers and the list goes on and on is there any kind of when you're directing a guy like that is there any kind of intimidation factor where you're just like oh my god you know am I gonna is this guy gonna see through me as a director or am I gonna you know pull him aside and say well, how do you think Guillermo would handle this scene I'm just curious <laughs> so what would he
2: do if he was in this case is there any of that or is he just another actor that you just kind of you know go with I mean, we, by that point, by the time we got on set with Tim, we had had countless hours of conversation uh, with him. You know, we started off uh, with a three hour note session um, where he was just like, Hey, I'd like to give me, give, give you my notes. You don't have to take any of them. And so we really like, I think in the beginning, Matt, like we established like our relationship of just like, Hey, yeah, no, that's a great idea. I Can't be this way because of this. And, And I felt really comfortable. I don't know about you, Matt, but like once we got on now, really fun, which you should talk about is like the song and and directing him like with uh, with the song, because that was pretty special with him and Angela.
4: Yeah. Before I talk about that, I was just going to say, I think because Tim's also a director, he has probably worked with actors that are a big pain in the butt and wants to do everything he can to be while on set to be just like down for anything. He'll hang out on set if you need him to. Like he just he just knows like how to be he just he wants to be the actor that a director wants to work with, which is, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so about a month before we started shooting, well, we knew there was going to be a musical number in it and that he was going to have to sing and he was on board and excited about it. And then like a month or three weeks before we started shooting, we were like dealing with COVID and dealing with building the town, all that stuff. Jordan, I can see Bonnie in the corner there walking around. Uh, sorry, dog. <laughs> um <laughs> Anyway, and he was like, oh, let, let me hear that song so I can start working on it. And I was like, oh, no, yeah, he needs to work on the song beforehand. So I was like, oh, yeah, let me uh, just finish it up. I'll, uh, <laughs> be there too. So I ran home and I wrote the music and then Jordan came home. Well, it wasn't really our home, but wherever we were staying, wrote the lyrics. We, we roughed up a version with Jordan singing all the parts and sent it to him like the next day. And, and then when him and Angela came on set, there was a piano on set and Angela had learned the piano part. Wow, and they would rehearse it together. I'm like, this is like a song that we made like a week ago or two weeks ago, and
2: they're like, people took the time to like learn it. Yeah,
4: and it yeah. was just so crazy.
2: That was special. Like, listen, we just got this fan art in this morning. uh That's really funny that we we're talking about this, but. <laughs> how he did this that's cool great. i was like you gotta Isn't send us great? a
0: picture of that so we can put it on
1: show notes you got so, it I, uh, yeah you got it really i should
2: yeah i should get a copy of that too i didn't think about that absolutely <laughs> it's, awesome. it's just it's so special i mean to have angela bettis and tim blake nelson singing uh, you know singing oh, yeah. that song and and have that as something that people really are enjoying about the film like it makes our day yeah. it's it, yeah. it really does it's it's real special
1: well, this, the the songs that are in the film are terrific. And you guys worked on that t- together with the lyrics and then with the music. But then, Matt, you, in addition to shooting the film, co-directing the film, you guys wear so many hats in this. You're also the composer. And mm-hmm. I thought you did just a wonderful job uh, with it. And as a matter of fact, i I was looking through doing my research on you. And I'm also... I'm so jealous because you're also a fantastic drummer. I'm a drummer too, and I sat there and watched your drum solos. I'm like, oh god! Oh, now he has it on an acoustic set, and so I watched that one too. I'm like, come on! It's a great filmmaker. He's a great drummer. I'm not going to be part of this interview. I'm so jealous. Um, I had so cu- I had to
0: beg Jay to come back and be exactly
1: on an <laughs> so mad. But I appreciate the drumming. So mad, <laughs> fantastic, and and like I said, uh, the the score for the film is just is really terrific. Obviously, you scored a number of films, and you have a a great background. Um, what's the genesis for this, for the, for the, for this, for the tone that, in this film with, when you approach the, the music and the, and the scoring of it, what did you start with? Do you have an inspiration piece or did you just sit down and just start working from dailies or what, 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 what's your approach
4: there? Well, because the, the, that song with Tim and Angela was the first thing we did. There was a melody built in there that I was knew I'd use as the core for a lot of the score, but I wanted the music to be, not exactly what you would expect. I didn't want it to be like Western music or like yeah. horror, exactly horror music. So I used elements. I think when we did temp music, I ended up temping a, a album by Johan Johansson. I hope that's how you say his name. The guy who did Arrival and Man kind okay. of stuff. And I remember when Arrival came out, I was so mad about it because like it, the score got nominated for an Oscar. But the opening song is by this composer named Max Richter and closing songs by Max Richter. And I thought everybody, they love the score because of Max Richter. All this th- the rest of the score is <laughs> really stupid and like, why did everybody... And then like a couple of years ago, I re-listened to the score. And I was like, oh my God, the score is amazing. Uh-huh. The stuff he does with like vocals and chopping samples, but also like atmosphere. Anyway, so like this guy who I was mad at for no reason ended up becoming <laughs> a huge, huge inspiration for me as a composer and for the film. Just like that almost sci-fi-esque vocal chopping thing that happens a couple of times throughout the film.
2: Just in like, the woods, yeah. right?
4: Yeah. In the woods, like there's, which is Tara Perry's vocals. Actually, she came in and recorded a bunch of vocal parts that I ended up putting into it, making an instrument on my uh, keyboard out of. And, and just that like seductive, artificial, something's off vocal style, I think was like the key to like making the woods is odd and like intriguing and kind of scary as, as possible. I didn't want I didn't want it to, the music to answer exactly what was out there for you, basically, if that makes sense.
1: It does. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's really interesting what you did with their vocals and how you kind of decided to blend that in, because there, there's there's something with the soundtrack that you just want to listen to and see if you're if you're capturing everything. And like you said, it, it isn't what you I guess a lot of composers might say, okay, it's, uh, the hook here is it's kind of a Western it's a horror film. So I'm going to do exactly what you'd expect a little Westerny, a little horry uh, but you know, you went in a way that makes
4: it just really
1: unique and, and really interesting to listen to on its own.
4: Thanks. And I've definitely been, because I've been in like rock bands and like made standalone music. I like, I want the music to be able to stand on its own also and be interesting on its own. And that's definitely been something that's been a part of my composing style for a while is to, but you,
2: you also, you, you write, um, you write to the like sentence and yeah, I don't know. I just like hmm. where oh, that cool. Genesis came from for you. Yeah. I'm
4: definitely like a perfectionist when it comes to like making sure everything dips out when vocals are happening and there's a pause and then there's enough, the perfect amount of space between when a, somebody says a revealing line before there's a sting or anything like that, like a cartoon would back in the old days, but
2: in a yeah.
0: scary
4: way, instead of a funny oh, very way. Very interesting, but no, no yeah. clip clapping yeah. of the horses' feet.
0: You know, yeah, I kept expecting. to have nothing. Yeah, that would have been really fun. That's actually yeah. <laughs> <really> fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You mentioned earlier uh, about Tara Perry and the fact that she co-wrote the script um, uh, with Hugh Jordan. When you're when you're co-writing with a with someone who's going to be in the film and. Uh, and especially when you're when you're working around her character is do you just kind of let her kind of take that and run with it? Or do you find yourself having to like rein in and say, OK, we've got to, you know, I, you don't get free reign with that character. I just think it'd be it's so interesting that that one person who's not only, you know, obviously she's going to be interacting with the other characters, but then she's focusing on this major character in the movie. Um do you have to is there any kind of consideration when you're writing the script about either staying away from that or just making sure that she's got the balance that that is necessary as you're writing
2: i was really lucky in the fact that she didn't want to be the main character huh. she didn't feel like she needed to be the main character from the beginning and that that made me feel pretty comfortable and being like okay you know she she's got she knows exactly like where she wants it to be and i feel about the same way so really you can't beat i definitely i would write it first uh, i kind of wrote the first beat board in the first draft okay. and but she took so much uh, ownership over that character because you know we had hoped that she would play that one oh, okay. and we had hoped that Tommy would play the main character so we were utilizing them as much as possible to be like hey you don't get to say what happens but like please tell us if this wouldn't happen and they were so instrumental and so we did kind of have like these two actors helping us along the way, be like, honestly, like what kind of stuff would you like to do that you haven't got to do before? Because that's also very important um, because they had been on together on the Fresh Beat Band, which was Nickelodeon show for years, hugely successful show, but they had wanted to do something else. So there was definitely, and especially for the short film, there was a uh, a thing of like, hey, let's give them something that they haven't got to do before because that's when actors give you their best. When you're the person, you know you're the people who give them that thing that they've always wanted to do, um, but I, I kind of wavered from the question. But it, but Tara did a really good job of of really helping me understand what a female character would feel like, and and same as with Tommy as a black man, like you're like, hey, thank you for these perspectives because it really it really helps me uh, know that I'm getting it right. Sure. I think it's also nice that that her character didn't fall into like
4: any tropes of like what you're saying about like a female Western character or even Tommy's character doesn't fall into the tropes of what like a lead actor's character would do in a Western film. But also I just wanted to say that thank God Tara wasn't the lead of the movie because when she wasn't on set
2: shooting, she was like in the production office doing producery things and paperwork, (laughs) phone calls, catering. Yeah. She's a PGA producer on it and, and it's hard to get the PGA marker and, uh, yeah, she was doing that in between takes. She was also our casting director. and She knocked it out.
1: <laughs> oh, very cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, staying with the kind of the, the script, the, the film, it, it has messages and, it you know, maybe it has a, a core message, a central message. But what do you guys, both of you, what do you want folks to take away from Ghosts of the Ozarks? My,
2: my favorite part is James McCune and his arc. And I guess like, when I'm, I, I don't want to like tell anyone how to like watch the movie or what to take away from it. But you know, James is who I hope I would be. Uh, you know, he walks into a place and he, uh, it's perfectly meant for him. And as yep. the cracks start to show, he sees it's not perfect for everybody, and and he has to decide what to do. And and I wish I could be more like him. So I, I tend to to say that I think his his art. Interesting.
4: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I I'm just I'm happy about the decisions that we pushed against. Like there's not a love story in it. There's not mm-hmm. the hero doesn't at the end murder all the bad guys or whatever. Spoiler, I guess. Uh, but so, <laughs> <laughs> it's a negative spoiler. I didn't We're all <laughs> right. But you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be the way that you assume it's going to be, I guess.
0: And the movie is currently, as we're talking, you're still in the middle of the theatrical run. Like, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been, how that's been going? Yeah,
2: we, we got, we, we opened up uh, in LA and New York, Austin, Houston, Phoenix uh, at Alamo draft houses. um, And some majestic theaters uh, in Arizona. And then we're going to go on to, uh, I think some runs in Nashville and Iowa and, uh, so, you know, how indie film goes, like picking it up as it goes along, people get right. interest and they're like, can I bring this here? And you're like, hell yeah, you can. Oh, <laughs> so awesome. yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's fun though. Cause we've been doing a lot of Q and A's and, uh, it's the first time we've really been back in public, you know, since COVID and, and it, and it's really nice to meet indie filmmakers again. We got to go to the Austin film festival last year during like a lull oh, cool. when things were okay. And that was so special. Um, and yeah, it's just made me realize how much I'm just just interacting with other filmmakers because <laughs> we haven't got yeah. to. Yeah.
0: Well, that's great. Well, the, the film is ghost of the Ozarks. It is maybe coming to a theater near you. Uh, yes. so check uh, the website. I'm sure you guys are updating where <laughs> yeah. you're going to be and what's going on. If not, you can rent it. You can buy it, uh, where you get your streaming entertainment. Um, Jordan Long and Matt Glass. Thanks so much for joining us and congrats on the movie. Hope you find a big audience.
1: Thanks thank guys. Thank you so Appreciate much. Thank yeah. You Jay
0: and I I will be back uh, to wrap up this edition of Indie Horror Rising with our bloody good stuff and more right after this. So stay tuned.
1: Without sound, the radio is just a box in your car. Without a signature sound, your business is just like the other guys. Don't be like the other guys. Let Audio for the Arts help you find the right sound for your business. You've already heard ads produced by our staff here at Audio for the Arts on this and other stations. Visit audioforthearts.com or call 608-255-0511 to schedule a studio tour and consultation. And welcome back to Andy Horror Rising. We appreciate you sticking with us and we really appreciate Matt Glass and Jordan Wayne Long for spending some time to chat with us. And actually, we were fortunate enough to continue the conversation with them after the interview ended and we just had a wonderful conversation with them. I just, I can't say enough about Jordan and Matt, they are just two of the most talented yeah. and versatile guys out there. Uh, they can do so much and wear so many hats, but they also, they do everything so well. They're operating at a high level and they are just so impressive and yeah. such nice guys. So they have it all. Uh, that was, I really enjoyed the interview and I really enjoyed uh, the, the conversation we had with them afterwards. Um, Cause they're just two really great, talented guys that I know we've said this before and in our, Uh, 100th episode, we talked about some of the more talented filmmakers, some of the films that we enjoyed the most, and we said a number of times that there are people that we need to keep our eyes on, and the next thing they do is just going to be enormous, and these guys are right in with that that group. They are so talented, just so impressed with them.
0: I agree completely. Uh, And, uh, and just all around good fellows as well. Um, So thanks. Thanks again uh, to uh, Matt and Jordan for joining us. We we really appreciate it. And, uh, and we hope you guys will all uh, uh, get out there and, uh, and check out, uh, ghost the ozarks wherever you can find it streaming it is available right now as we yes. speak also available right now is a little uh feature that we like to call our bloody good stuff it's that one thing we're reading about we're watching we're reviewing we're thinking about something that we want to share with our uh, listeners uh week in and week out and uh jay i'm curious uh mm-hmm. what are you going to regale us with today for your uh for your bloody good stuff
1: well, as I was doing my research on Ghost of the Ozarks, uh, I came across a video that documented how they created the town. Oh, cool. um, yeah. And it was it was really fascinating to see how they created it from scratch. And I sort of alluded to that during our interview uh, with Jordan and Matt. And Matt mentioned that they had a 50-minute kind of a documentary out there for people to watch. Um, and they have it at ghostoftheozarks.com, he mentioned. So I went there and I checked that out and that's my bloody good stuff this week. Cool. It is so darn interesting. It was just so much fun to watch. They break their making of, so to speak, into five parts. So it's five individual videos that are all roughly, you know, 10 minutes or so each. They have origins, this is the first video, building the town, then they have principal photography, creating the score, and then post-production. So just <laughs> Everything that we just love to, to really dive into horror films, feature films, indie films, and see how they're made. Origins is just what you'd expect. A um, uh, Matt and Jordan and uh, Tara Price, or Perry, I'm sorry, who's also their actor, one of the stars and leads in the film and writer, producer, uh, they discuss how they came up with the short as the proof of concept and how that evolved into the feature. And you get to see just, you know, their process, their creative process and how they put that together. But as a bonus, you get to see Jordan and Tara's wedding. Um, They got married during that time period. And then the next video, building the town, that title, of course, again, tells it all, but it's how they physically built the town. They brought in over 400 loads of dump truck dirt to, to build the hills around the town, to cover up all of the warehouses, they showed how they built the facades to the warehouse. Then the interiors, they have a time-lapse section where they, you see them putting together the bar. Wow. Jordan and his dad did a lot of it. His dad is 70 years old, and they're just such talented guys when it comes to being craftsmen like that, to be able to do that and plan it out. And they built the roadways, just incredible. That's amazing. Um, the principal photography video was, was, was interesting, too, in that you get to see a lot of behind-the-scenes footage with cast and crew, and you get to see... How Matt and Jordan work together as co-directors um, and then you again get to be super impressed with Jordan because he created bigotures, these big models of different areas of the town so that he could like burn them down. so for example uh. one of the the home one of the houses that you see st- that starts on fire and burns down it's this house that looks exactly like the one in the film, but it comes about chest high and they burn that one down and and then they built in Jordan and Tara's uh, backyard a full-scale miniature of the entire town. It's in their backyard so they could fly through and do different things and then they added stuff and post just incredible wow. stuff to watch really cool. yeah creating, creating the score I asked Matt about that during our interview and he discussed his thinking and his approach to to uh, composing. But you get to watch him do it, and again, you just sit there. I do, and it's your jaw is just on the floor with just how creative they are, and, and how you know he created all those elements from scratch and his thinking behind it. And again, he touched on that during the interview. But watch that section if you really want to get expand uh, your your understanding of how he approached that. And then finally, they had post production. Uh, just kind of follow those guys into. Uh, post and watch them work with their editor, but you also get to see how they added their uh, visual effects to the film. And that's, that's all Matt putting that in and how they use green screen to fill in different things. Like there's a scene with a crowd that folks in the town are outside toward the yeah. end. And they, they had to uh, duplicate and replicate a number of people and just yeah. you know, paste them in over and over really cool. And I get into more detail about how they use some of these miniatures and the bigatures in the film. So Those are the five kind of vignettes, the videos that are out there. Um, It's really a wonderful making of, uh, you know, it's really well put together and just so captivating. So I really would encourage folks to watch Ghost of the Ozarks and then go to their website, ghostoftheozarks.com and watch these videos. It's so much fun and it's so well done. So oh, that's you know. my bloody good stuff. Thoroughly really enjoyable. I really enjoyed watching all of those.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. That's a, that's a great one. I'll, uh, I'll be very eager to go check those out. It's yeah. some of the, the, the making of stories on this film are some of the best that we've had on the podcast. So, um, yeah. it will be really cool to get more depth into that and kind of and check those out
1: for sure. Yeah. You, you'll watch it and you also think what can't these guys do? I mean, they just can do so much. They're so talented. Uh, speaking of talented, you're very talented coming up with your bloody good stuff, Chris. And very interested to know what you have for us this week.
0: Well, I am not so talented, but the uh, the focus of my bloody good stuff is extraordinarily talented. And we, uh, we've uh, mentioned his name many times on the podcast. Um, he is a friend of the podcast, and he is uh, uh, probably one of the... Uh, Trying to think if we've had a more noteworthy filmmaker on, or well-known, or uh, more accomplished filmmaker on than Larry Fessenden, who we uh, interviewed—I can't remember if it was last year, maybe early last year—about his then new film *Depraved*. But he, of course, is a uh, is a legendary indie filmmaker um, who has been around for uh, decades now. He makes films, he acts, um, and uh, and he's he's one of the biggest names we've had on the podcast. He was very generous with us with his time, um, and I'm extraordinarily late with this bloody good stuff because it is it is no longer something that you can check out, but it is so noteworthy that I, I really wanted to shine a light on it because uh, over the last several weeks, the Museum of Modern Art in New York has done a, uh, a lengthy, I mean, in-depth, uh, uh, what do you call it, a uh, uh, exhibit. And uh, screenings uh, of uh, the films of Larry Fessenden and his company Glass Eye Picks, and the uh, exhibit is called "Oh the Humanity: The Films of Larry Fessenden and Glass Eye Picks." And it uh, it has been at the uh, Museum of Modern Art in New York, and it's just it's a tremendous honor, and it it really has focused uh, not only on his his films and the films of Glass Eye Picks, but also on the many indie filmmakers um, that he has influenced and nurtured uh, over his years in the industry. So of course they, uh, they, they showed a number of, uh, of, of Larry's, uh, films, uh, during the exhibit, like, uh, um, uh, like Wendigo and they showed Depraved and, and others the last winter. Um, they did, I, th- I think there was some, some in-person events because I did see some other filmmakers that we've interviewed, like n- notably, uh, um, uh, 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 Justin Brooks and Emily Bennett, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, we had on several weeks ago, uh, saw on their social media channels they were uh, uh, sharing pictures of them with Larry um, at I think the kickoff of the uh, of the MoMA exhibit. Um, uh so there 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 have been uh uh, virtual screenings there've been some in-person events i mentioned they uh they've been doing some of uh uh, larry's films they've also been doing films of some of his uh his protégés like ty west they did a double feature of the house of the devil and the inn Innkeepers, um uh, which are some of the more noteworthy uh, indie horror films of the last 20 years and uh and i just think i just think it's so cool um uh, and just such an honor that he be recognized in this way um, mm-hmm. as uh, as such a groundbreaking uh, independent filmmaker. And so again, the exhibit is called uh, uh, "Oh, the Humanity: The Films of Larry Fessenden and Glass Eye Picks. So I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll include a link to uh, uh, the, the site on MoMA uh, where they have a lot of information about him and all. So uh, um, we'll just go ahead and, and include some links of where you can currently see some of Larry's films streaming so you can check them out, even though it won't be technically uh, as part of the, uh, the MoMA exhibit. But uh, a huge congratulations to Larry Fessenden and his, uh, his uh, colleagues at uh, Glass Eye Picks. It's, it's a real honor to be featured in that way at the Museum of Modern Art.
1: Very good. I would absolutely recommend that people check that out. They should also Google indie horror rising and depraved and maybe check out our episode
0: with him. Yeah. Hi, maybe, I, maybe I, that's one other thing I'm going to include a link to. <laughs> didn't even, didn't even think of that, but that's a good one to do that. Might want to do <laughs> put that. a link to our interview with Larry Fessenden. I I'm probably, probably right. Right. He's I'm trying to think if we've had a, a more accomplished and kind of more legendary name on the show in the last couple of years. And I don't think we have, I mean, he's, He's uh he's been one of the one of the yeah. top names we've we've had on the show. I would um, agree. I and agree and you know, we got him because we just tracked out his email address, I asked him to to show up and he was like, Yeah, well, you know, why
1: not? Let's do it, it'll be fun. He said, you know, like,
0: yeah, yeah and awesome. he was
1: another one that kept talking to us afterwards, and you could tell was just so generous with his time. Yeah. And could have gone, of course, on and on and, and pick a topic and, and he can cover it if you want to go through indie film, indie horror. Um, yeah. That's yeah. a very good one. I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't see that. I didn't hear about it. So great for for shining a light on that. Definitely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But that'll uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of India Horror Rising. Great big thanks again to Matt Glass and Jordan Wayne Long for uh, being with us to talk about Ghosts of the Ozarks. Make sure you get out there and check that out, as well as the uh, behind the scenes videos that uh, that Jade discussed. Um, and also thanks uh, to all of you for joining us. All of the all of you who. Who subscribe? Who follow? Who uh, make sure you get every episode of the podcast? Uh, in order to continue to uh, uh, expand our audience, if you if you are not among those people, please do so. Please wherever you get your uh, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, whatever platform you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Stitcher or uh, iTunes Radio or Pandora, wherever you get your podcast, we are there, and you can subscribe, you can follow, you can like us, and uh, make sure you're getting. Every episode of the podcast delivered right to you. You can also follow us to get uh, links, to get bios, to get information about the uh, podcast and about our broader body of work, whether it be our films like The Nursery, our upcoming film The Headmistress, or Whatever we are working on as uh, Three Tortured Minds, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Three Tortured Minds, the word three, Three Tortured Minds. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at, at Three Tortured Minds. This time it's the number three, Three Tortured Minds, at Three Tortured Minds, or get us uh, on our blog where we just kind of cover everything, um, and you'll always uh, get our show notes every week with links and bios and trailers and all that kind of stuff, and that is at uh, three tortured tortured minds the words three tortured minds dot wordpress.com follow us become part of the community um we really appreciate it and uh we appreciate you tuning in each and every week it means a lot to jay and i just as it means a lot to me jay that you're here with me every week uh or at least every week that we decide to do an
1: original show <laughs> that's right it means the world to me too great show great buddy good stuff And i'm looking forward to doing this again next week unless we decide to go ahead and have a uh, encore episode <laughs> And dad,
0: daddy's traveling next week, so, uh, so so it might be that we may have to have a uh, we may have to have an encore. But we will we'll we'll talk about that off air and figure <laughs> out what we're going to do. And, uh, but That's regardless, awesome. we will talk to you and see you all next week.
1: Bye bye.